and welcome in to another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am Karen Steckley, feeling a lot better, a little groggy, but a lot better with me as always is a man who every year cheats on his taxes because although he files single, he's married to the game. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Doing all right, Kieran. I thought of a good one for you. Your your voice is out of the trash can, but your mind's always in the gutter. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. I like it. And you know what else I've liked? Your butt churning out stories. This is, I'm going to call this a, I'm going to call this a Christopher Nolan podcast. We're just going big picture here, everybody. We're going big picture with things. Um, obviously the Tigers still remain playing games on the schedule. There's evaluations underway, but we're going big picture. So just, just FYI, we're talking GMs, injuries, larger things around the franchise. Um, but before we get to that, I I do want to say one thing about on field stuff. Is there anybody that we should dog is too strong of a word, but Maybe ding a little bit because we did it with Jamer a couple weeks ago, and he goes and hits a couple home runs, uh, two and three days, or back to back, like shortly thereafter. And then we say, you know, hey, it's pretty tough for Kerry Carpenter. And then what does he do? He yeah, <laughs> back yeah. to back to back home run day. So before we get into big picture stuff, is there anyone else do we want to do want to say, yeah, this guy just can't cut it, you know? Should we do it for Willie Castro? Maybe he'll emerge again. <laughs> uh, Willie Castro. I mean, we could. Circle back to Jamer again. That <laughs> hot streak was kind of short lived. Riley Green, you know, I, I mean, come on, the, who's this guy, right? Yeah, yeah. Riley Green. <laughs> you know, is, uh, can he even play? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, but in all seriousness, congrats to Carrie. Very nice to see. Always love it. That's one of the best things about baseball, sports in general. Seeing somebody, fill up, you know, live out their dream, especially at a young age, relatively to you know other businesses. So. Congrats to him. Last week we did two podcasts basically talking about the same thing. We talked about Alavila being fired and then some speculation. You had worked your sources. I had said on the emergency podcast a couple names that just kind of made sense. Obviously, I'm not sourcing. I'm it's very topic topical, you know. But you're doing the sourcing, you're doing the phone calls, you're you're in the game. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised to see a couple of names that I kind of dug up as possibilities also made it to your list. Um, I don't necessarily, you need to subscribe to the athletics. You can read all of them. I don't want to just list them all. Um, but maybe just elaborate a little bit, if you would, Cody, about how these names came to be that you decided, all right, this is a good enough list to publish that it makes some sense because you are kind of going on out on a limb here and when Illich says it's going to be a wide net you know could be anybody so you know what was your process for kind of going through those guys yeah this is an example of not just totally making stuff up but it's not a hundred percent you know there's still an element of speculation I think with most GM searches, with most coaching searches, especially this early in the process when the team is still in season. Um, Definitely had conversations with a couple people close to the GM search. 
uh, a couple people across the league, even, you know, as simple as picking the brain of, of someone like Ken Rosenthal, who would be in the know on stuff like this. So, um, there was some education to the list. There was also, sometimes you talk to people and, eh, they're still not quite ready to hand out, uh, a list of names, or maybe they don't want a list of names public. Uh, the name that did get thrown around a lot, um, in, in a couple different conversations was Jason McLeod, which was interesting. Not someone I would have thought of on my own, but uh, I believe he's the Cubs VP of player development under Theo Epstein. Also worked with Theo in Boston this year. He's working as a special assistant to the Diamondbacks. Um, an interesting name because he's a guy whose stock across the league was probably considered higher I don't know, three to four years ago. Um, obviously, the Cubs rebuild that he played a large role in. It worked. They got a ring, uh, but it it you know did not become the dynasty that the mm-hmm. Cubs you know you know kind of thought they were building. The player development system churned out a run of great hitters, and then kind of kind of petered out from there. Um, McLeod seems like a pretty forward thinking guy. He and AJ Hinch worked in the same front office um, briefly in San Diego. So there is that tie there. Um, so that's probably the most interesting name that came up. Seems like there is some level of serious interest there. Um, and then after that, I think it's a lot of the usual suspects who have come up in these conversations. A lot of guys who interviewed with the Mets, you know, um, guys we've already talked about several members of the Dodgers front office. And then it's like, okay, you know, Matt Arnold with the Brewers, okay, who would actually be willing to leave a very stable situation where perhaps they are the number two or not quite running their own team um, to take on an opportunity like the Tigers. And then there's always the chance the Tigers uh, take a leap on a name we haven't even thought of yet because, let's be honest, uh, finding an MLB executive, again, a This is another thing that was reiterated to me. I think it is going to be a wide search. I think they're going to interview a lot of different people. Um, Unless something changes, which it could, uh, I'm still not feeling a lot of heat for the Theo Epsteins, the Jeff Lunaus. Um, Look, and I wouldn't be shocked if those calls are made, especially to Theo. Uh, I think the Tigers will call people like Brandon Gomes with the Dodgers just to gauge the interest. Um, and overall it's, it's still early on in the search process. We are going to learn more here in the weeks to come. How much do you look into it either way? So this is like a short question and then I'll kind of follow up with why I'm asking. Do you look into it either way about somebody who has spent a long time with an organization, just one organization, or maybe one or two organizations, or is it is it better? Is that the right word? Or to have someone that like like you just like uh, like McLeod and and some of these other guys who have kind of gone organization a couple of different organizations, and you know even if they were kind of under the same tree, really of the Epstein. Or a part of it, um, or does that matter at all? Does that play into it at all in your mind? Well, that's a really interesting question. I think you can look at that from 
for many of our jobs, right? You take experience from each of your stops. I think I'm a better journalist for all the internships I did at a variety of places, for things I learned in my first job, for things I learned covering college football. I think I apply all those experiences to what I do now today. At the same time, if you're going to take someone who's only worked for the Dodgers or um, you know, Dana Brown, the Brave Scouting Director, is a name I like a lot. Um, and it's like, okay, well, if this is someone who's worked for the best organization for a long period of time and they can bring that experience, I don't think you can fault that. Um, tough to say, you know. Some of it depends on age. Some of these guys are young, up and coming, by the very nature, aren't going to have worked for three or four different teams. Uh, I don't. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer there. I think a diverse array of experience is certainly helpful. Um, I don't know. Think of it. Think of it like politics. Do you want the young, up and coming candidate, or do you want the person who's been in the been in the Senate or the state Senate for a million years and is qualified as it comes? Both options have their pros. Both options could have their cons. Well, if you look at the past couple election cycles, the American people have definitely chosen uh, the old and the experienced in, you know, some fashion, I guess. Maybe not always the Senate. But one of the names that I'm drawn to, Cody, is Billy Owens. Athletics, I believe his official title is assistant GM. There might be something more to that. Um, I wrote it down previously. Maybe I'll get to it. Yeah, a lot of these titles get yeah. confusing too. By the way, because a lot of them are eyewash now. VP right? of Even this now, and VP of this and assistant GM and this and that. Uh, we're see- we're seeing it with the Tigers now, where it's like, okay, what? So what do we refer to as Sam Minzen? Because he's not the point of contact. He's technically the assistant GM. How can you be the assistant GM when there's not a real GM? <laughs> And then he's, you know, VP of pro scouting or president of pro scouting. But it's like his job is way more than that. So these titles are kind of ridiculous. You're right. So Billy Owens is assistant GM. I found my notes. Director of... The A's do have a real GM. is I believe. (laughs) And a president of baseball ops. And I think Billy Bean's now just like, I don't even know what his title is these days. He's just Billy Bean. That's all you need to know. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Owens is director of player personnel, and he is a. He spent the vast majority of his baseball life, I believe, with the A's, and if, if there might be a couple years off uh, here or there, but there was a time I did I I researched this last week. There was a time where he would have been in the organization at the same time as AJ, I believe, as like a minor league hitting coach. So they probably wouldn't have had like direct relationship contact but stands the reason they would have probably been around each other in some fashion uh so maybe that's a little bit of a connection i obviously admire the way the athletics in general have been able to remain contenders way outside their uh punching above their their weight class i guess is is a good way to put it so that that name intrigues me. And then I was kind of reminded of A.J. Hinch this week when the Tigers need a manager and there's a guy who is available that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be available and you, if you want to take that leap, you got to act fast. 
and they went and got AJ Hinch, obviously with a little bit of an assistance from uh, a division rival, but John Daniels is on the market now, and I don't know what the national reaction was, but the local reaction here was, it kind of reminded me also of the Dave Dombrowski firing in a way where it's like, this guy brought us success, and the Tigers have had obviously more franchise success than the Rangers, but this guy brought us a two World Series, right? And success that like this generation had not experienced, but he kind of been there a while, and and maybe maybe it just kind of ran its course. Um, but there are also a lot of people that are like, this is not the right move to essentially push out or fire, because it was kind of in the tea leaves if you look at the Chris Young situation. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. the, 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 like a guy who had built your franchise from the only time you're in the news is when you hand out the largest contract in professional sports history to Alex Rodriguez to you know a legitimate contender. And another team, by the way, that in a couple years punched above their weight class. Uh, so John Daniels is a guy, to me, that you wouldn't necessarily expect to be on the market and should be in the conversation he has a history of building up franchises making smart trades working in a i guess you would just call it non-premier market you know i'm not you know it's obviously a big market here but it's not a premier market just like detroit's not like a quote-unquote premier market he obviously works well with owners because he went through an ownership change and he won an arm wrestling match with the Texas Rangers <laughs> against Nolan Ryan. So fared better against Nolan Ryan than Robin Ventura. That's, That's... Yes, absolutely. So to me, this is a guy that warrants consideration. You're there's not going to be anybody on the market, I guess, realistically that you're that's going to have his resume. Uh, if I might, I don't know if I'm missing something, but this might be someone who pops to the top of my intrigue list. My intrigue list. Uh, you spent a time covering the Rangers, one of those teams also that uh, had played above expectations. So you've been around him a little bit. You know what? What can you kind of share with us about John Daniels? And what do you think? What do you think? Is he is he worthy of? pop into the top of an intrigue list not the top candidate but the intrigue list i think he tops my intrigue list just because i've been around him a little bit just full disclosure covered the rangers as an intern for mlb.com in 2015 i wasn't even there the whole season so i can't pretend to no no john daniels but i've been around him a little bit and um liked him because he was really great to the media he was great to me as as an intern um uh, probably better than Alavila ever was. And then from a sheer baseball, like, I don't know, growing up in Texas, even though I was a Braves fan, obviously I followed the Rangers, have a better understanding of their history, their day-to-day than, than a lot of the franchises across the league. Um, I obviously think John Daniels did some very good things there, did make some great trades, built up a World Series contender. Then you look at the period from 2016 on, I just have not 
liked much of anything the Rangers have done from that period and look at them now. They're seems to me like in a little bit of limbo. I think there's a, maybe a little bit more optimism that if their young players pan out, you add that to the Seegers and the Simeons and the, the I don't know. You know, I, I said it this offseason. I was kind of like, I feel like they're they're built trying to build this house on a poor foundation. Um, sign some bad contracts like Elvis Andrews. But look, anyone who's a, 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 in a position of power for 20 plus years is going to have plus pluses and minuses. Mm-hmm. On their track record, overall, John Daniels was a well-respected executive. It did seem like this was coming from the time the Rangers hired Chris Young. It was always kind of heading this way. So then it's like, okay, how would he fit in with the Tigers? Well, I don't know. He's, uh, you know, obviously a pretty forward-thinking guy, but he's been doing this for 20 years. You know, is he really on the cutting edge of innovations in the game? Are the Rangers viewed as one of the top five most progressive teams in the league. No, they're not. They're probably uh, probably closer to middle of the pack, I think. Um, and then I just have a hard time. Again, it's the experience argument. Like, I have a hard time being like, let's hire this guy who just got fired. Is that really a solution for a team like the Tigers? That's a little bit of a tough sell to me. At the same time, okay, would you rather have this guy who's done it, who's built a World Series contender, or some guy who's only been an assistant and we're just assuming he's smart? That's a tough argument. I wonder, we also don't know, there's a chance that the Tigers could go in with a president of baseball ops and a GM structure. Like, that's a possibility. I don't know what Chris Illich's thinking there is. Um, that's where John Daniels would become more interesting to me. Hire him as a president of baseball ops and send him right back to a situation <laughs> <laughs> like he just had the Rangers where some other guy who, you know, you actually want probably, um, having a little bit more of the influence as the general manager. I think Daniel's experience is interesting, intriguing. I think you got to call him and interview him overall. I just don't think you can hire a guy who just got fired, who the last six years of his track record isn't very good uh, for a job like this. If the Tigers were maybe closer to winning and you just wanted the experienced hand, think Dave Dombrowski in Boston, um, then I then I think it would make a little more sense. That's fair. And there is a sentiment in this area that John was handcuffed a lot of those years excuse me ownership change uh stadium deals there's a lot of things going on in the franchise that made it more difficult to operate in the way that he had previously how true is that i don't know i'm just saying that's the sentiment around baseball people in this area um a, a quick side note Lesson for the kids out there. If you want revenge, just be patient. And I think this is hilarious. In 2005, John Daniels, new, you know, very fresh on the job as running the Rangers, trades away pitcher Chris Young and Adrian, Gonz- and, and Adrian Gonzalez to the Padres for basically nothing. Fast forward to 2022, Chris Young pushes out John Daniels to run the Texas Rangers baseball operation. So, 
uh, you, you know that there's there's your irony right there. Also, it was kind of depressing when I was looking up John Daniels' resume because I was reminded that he was 28 years old when he got that Rangers job, and I'm 29. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, ain't nothing I've done in this life that even remotely compares to running. A damn baseball yeah. front. Uh, I had that exact. I had that exact thought. I'm, I'm 28 right now, and look, I deal with a lot of stuff in this job that's not, uh, not for kids. You know, you got to be an adult. But like, man, being the GM, that's a lot of responsibility. I'm like, man, like sometimes I feel like I, I still don't have everything <laughs> together. I can't imagine being the GM of a major league baseball team. Um, also worth noting, John Daniels' his college roommate happened to be a guy named A.J. Preller, um, who's actually never built a very good team, but is one of the most interesting <laughs> teams to follow. Uh, seems every year like he's going to build a juggernaut. And that Rangers front office also produced Thad Levine, GM of the Minnesota mm-hmm. Twins, who I put on my candidates list. I think the Rangers have had some other uh, young executives under John Daniels go on to promising careers. I will also note, I read Buster Only's story on ESPN Plus that was more about rebuilds in general, um, Mm. but like sort of the Tigers as an example. And it was interesting, um, but you got to be a Plus subscriber in order to read it. And if you're not a Plus subscriber, just subscribe to The Athletic and then figure out if the funds are good enough to do ESPN Plus. You have priorities, you know. And... He had a line in there about Alavila that I think is like a great, it's a great way to describe somebody. And I mean that seriously. However, I don't want that to be the way to describe whoever is going to be the next general manager of the Tigers. It was Alavila was a respected, loyal baseball man. Uh, mm-hmm. that just to me sounds is like code for old and not for thinking and <laughs> baseball man has become this term for yes. old. I'm, fair or not. That's what and it means. So, That's and means. so with all due respect, I think I would love for someone one day to describe me as a loyal baseball man or, you know, <laughs> eventually when I get up in age, I'm going to be described as like, uh, hopefully if I, you know, do everything right, a loyal family man, you know, like. <laughs> Like, but that's yeah. we're all headed there we're yeah. all gonna we're all gonna be able to these i don't want the gm to already be there though so so i yeah. uh, i had to chuckle at that which you know look like i said it's a great way to describe somebody don't want that in the next general manager um i i i know we've talked quick energy is there is there any like old guy in the game who's not a baseball man it's true like there aren't many there aren't many old guys that you hear aren't family men <laughs> even some of them that maybe aren't it's like well he's family guy you know that's just i think you reach a certain age you just get handed that description no matter what you're actually like that's true um and the you know the underrated part of of this situation is it's another litmus test for Illich. It's this part it's not really getting talked about all that all that much. You could argue that he was kind of grandfathered in 
with the Al Avila like situation and you know rave reviews for hiring Steve Eiserman with the Red Wings right this is one of his first real stamps on the Tigers as a franchise in terms of the overall direction of the franchise obviously there's free agent signings there's infrastructure stuff that you know he's has been doing is doing now you know etc but we're gonna get a really good gauge about how this man is as a as a hirer as a leader of a baseball franchise you know based on how he conducts this search how he handles whatever press conference happens when when the hiring is made uh we talk about how like things on the pie chart things that may be small but are like a factor how he handles this process is going to be a huge is going to be a part of how he is viewed from here on out um, as owner and it's a lot of pressure but that's what you sign up for you know so I don't know I just feel like that part's not really getting talked about Lynn Henning on Twitter has gone the bat for Illich can we can we can we stop mentioning Lynn Henning on this podcast man he just throws out ridiculous stuff on Twitter and everyone talks about it we gotta he does I'm just saying he he's saying that Illich has a good hiring track record and he's one of the few people that is talking about how this is as much a reflection of Illich as it is anything else and so I don't know I just feel like that's worth that's worth noting. This guy has been an enigma as an owner for a long time. And now this is one of the... Now he is forced to essentially show his hand as an owner. He can't hide behind, you know, well, I didn't trade this player. And again, I'm not knocking him for these comments. We talked about it on the podcast. But he, he can't hide behind, like, I didn't do this. That was the general manager. He can't hide behind, well, my father did this, and so I reacted this way. This is now 100% him. Yeah, and I do think that's one of the more interesting things about this search. Like the question, who's running this search? Chris talked about using the full force of the Tigers baseball operations or whatever. Um, I think it's interesting because, okay, you look at the two assistant GMs who are candidates and would surely like the job themselves. So are they going to be the best people to run the search? Probably not. A.J. Hinch, of course, we talk about his influence. I think the idea that A.J.'s handpicking the GM is a little overstated, or at least there's starting to be a push to kind of like downplay this idea. Like, no, A.J. just wants to be the manager. Um, but then it's like, okay, well, who's who else do you have in your front office? David Chad, like all these Alavila guys are theoretically on their way out if, if their offices aren't already packed up. Um, so is it just Chris, you know? Um, I'm not sure. I think that's an interesting question. And I wonder the GM searches are these strange big entities, but I wonder about the overall infrastructure of how this search is going to be run. And if Chris and the Tigers are ultimately in a great position to, um, do it in an efficient and organized and ultimately productive manner. One more thing, and then we can kind of move on from the 18 million other things that will uh t- times we'll talk about this uh 
moving forward. We 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 we've we've only talked whenever we talk about like those big names like Epstein and um, and Lunau, we kind of like I said we group them together. But are we? I just I just want to know: is the baggage still too much for Lunau? Is it too much to do that, it, or it, or are we past it? I I just want to know. Like that's that part's not really getting discussed. It's just like oh he's so accomplished he probably wouldn't take this job or whatever. But like. Yeah, keep in mind there was also that thing with the Cardinals. Like, I, like I'm, I'm, I'm not saying I. I'm just saying, are we all past everything? That's all. That's all I'm saying. You know, are we? I think Jeff Luna, like, I think as someone who covers AJ Hinch, you can't say, oh, we're not past that. I think there is a distinction in the way AJ's handled things and the way Jeff Luno's handled things. You can go look and read at <laughs> Luno's response to being fired. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean he's not deserving of a second chance. In the game. Yeah, I agree. I I think there is baggage, and I think reuniting Jeff Luno and AJ Hinch just makes it so much of a talking point that then the baggage is is more than worth dealing with. Yeah, I tend to I I tend to agree with that. And as much as I said, like I would love John Daniels to take the position. I'm also somebody that, in a vacuum, I would love to give someone their shot. Like sometimes, in in coaches and and, and GMs and all, and all the American sports, like it gets too recycled. So I'm yeah, I'm a big proponent of thinking it's too recycled. Yeah. So and there's a lot of ramifications to that that aren't of good reflection. Um, of the sports and you know the old boys network and all that stuff so as much as I am like I said intrigued by John Daniels or even Jeff like and even though AJ Hinch was you know brought in like this is all it it, it basically with, with this stuff we all have to talk out of both sides of our mouth right but I, I would just in general like some new blood I think that's overall better for the game and and better for baseball and create more opportunities for others so that's why like when i look at your list i i'm more drawn to uh to guys that you would be giving their first shot at like and interesting guys like randy flores who um i had talked about he's a former player you know he went into business which is pretty funny uh and is assistant gm right now with the with the cardinals uh I, I don't know. I just feel like you, you talked about McLeod uh, being a hot name. Like, some of these guys, like, they're candidates, and then they go away, and they never really get yeah. another shot. And sometimes it's because a John Daniels, like, you know, who already did it. It's, yeah. like, the easier way. And, and so... And that does make me wonder with McLeod. He's interviewed for at least, I think, four GM openings before. No one's ever hired him. There a reason for that? I'm not sure. I don't know enough, but sometimes it is probably unfair. You know, these guys interview, and then if you don't get hired in a certain window, it happens with managers too, then you're just kind of passed over. Is that what happened with Jason McLeod, or is there a reason he never actually got one of these jobs, um, especially a few years ago when he was on a lot of people's shortlist, when he had the, I helped build Theo Epstein's Cubs World Championship team to, uh, to kind of go tout around i don't know and it should be it, it should be noted in in fairness to him um 
you and I had talked about, like, literally the next year after that World Series, like, there's a lot of cracks in the Cubs right now. There's <laughs> the, uh, the demise of the dynasty, quote-unquote, was pretty easy to spot. And there were a lot of reasons for that that go outside the purview of an assistant general manager. So, um, for whatever that's worth. So, another deep dive that you did this week, Cody, was regarding an issue that is the title of the 2022 Detroit Tigers, and that's injury, specifically pitcher-related. And, again, you're a subscriber, you can read all this stuff, and there's a lot, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of information in there. But no answers. And that's the point, is that there really isn't, I mean, you got some great quotes from AJ, you contextualize a lot of things, there's data in there, there's ex- you know, examples as the best you could because a lot of this stuff is trade secrets for how franchises deal with injuries and such. But it's all just, you know, we, we joked about several times this podcast, we could send a man to the moon, but we don't know what a check swing is. We can send a man to the moon. We have all these, we, you and I are talking live right now via some sort of video thing on a computer. But we can't figure out how to best treat, prevent (laughs) tendons and elbows and shoulders to prevent injuries. And there are a lot of things thrown in there. I have some thoughts. I have some, um, some ideas. But as you reported on this story, something that you just knew you were never going to get the answer to. Like, did you, were you able to glean anything were you able to figure out if there's if there's on the pie chart maybe this is like 35% why the tigers have this really bad string of injuries is did you is there any sort of lesson to be learned right now <laughs> yeah I, this has been on my mind for weeks you know i i mentioned it on a podcast i was going to address the injuries somehow It was so hard to report because I think because for that reason, I could only kind of get 50% there on any one way of approaching the story, you know, Um, which ended up becoming the story. Like, here's this weird thing. Here's a bunch of contacts. Here's a couple possible solutions. Overall, everyone's just throwing up their hands saying, we don't know. Um... I started reading Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, which a lot of people had recommended to me before. And honestly, I'd never read because I was like, I don't, I don't want to read like 300 pages about an arm. You know, I don't know. And Jeff Passan's great at his job. Always liked his writing. I actually started reading it. Fascinating. Great job. I'm about halfway through the book. Full disclosure. I haven't finished it. If someone told me they were halfway through my story, I haven't finished it, I'd be mad. But um, <laughs> so far, the book is like fascinating. Great job. I've learned so much. But it amounts to like 150 pages of, yeah, we don't actually know. (laughs) Uh, And so in the case of the Tigers, look, again, I think the closest thing to a solution, it goes again to the organizational process. Um, And you have this biomechanics department 
It needs to be utilized better. It needs to be part of the player acquisition process, the player development process, and then the Tigers can improve at injury prevention at the major league level, and that encompasses, it's not just Doug Teeter, you know, it encompasses Doug Teeter and the biomechanics department and the analytics department and the strength and conditioning department, and ultimately the manager, how are you utilizing these guys? There are all these departments that work together kind of like in any company to create the ultimate product. And I think that's where the Tigers um, in a lot of ways have not functioned well. I think the Tigers have the capability, um, have some smart people working in these realms, but under Avila, it was not all brought together in a cohesive manner. So that's something the next GM has to figure out how to do. I don't know exactly how that works. Again, you point. I know the Dodgers are great at it. I know the Braves are great at it. The Astros are great at it in the way things are integrated into the overall process. There are ways to know more about players and what's going on with their bodies and to keep them healthy. Then you look at the tight, like, could any of that kept these young pitchers from getting hurt? Because I don't know. At the end of the day, Young pitchers are dropping like flies across baseball in the last draft class. The top arms, they were all out. They were all having Tommy John surgery. We know more about the arm than ever before, yet more guys are getting Tommy John surgery than ever before. There used to be a day where Tommy John surgery wasn't a thing and guys were still able to throw. Now, there were a lot of careers that ended early that we just don't talk about as much as, oh, well, back in my day, so-and-so threw 300 innings. Uh, there were also guys whose careers ended and they couldn't lift their arm above their shoulder and they just got, were completely the bird, forgotten Fidrich. about. The Not bird elbow Fidrich. related, but yeah. yeah. I mean, well, terrific example in a lot of ways. The point is, like, this game has existed before Tommy John surgery, but guys are throwing harder than ever. There's a correlation between velocity and increased arm injuries. It's probably not the only reason. We know more about good mechanics than ever. Didn't save Casey Mize, didn't save, uh, you know, Alex Fajardo or Spencer Turnbull. Tarek Skubal's now getting flexor tendon surgery. Alex Fajardo had a hip problem. Uh, some of it probably dates to these kids have been throwing, think of it, all guys from warm weather states have been throwing year-round their entire lives, playing travel ball, doing this, doing that. Again, for as much as we like to glorify, well, back in my day, we just played out in the yard every day. The stress on these kids' arms, I mean, I've lived it. Like, it's kind of crazy at, at the down to the very lowest levels of the game today. And I think that has to be contributing at some level. So a lot of it is systemic uh, and it goes way beyond the Tigers. It's so big picture. It's so hard to narrow in on. In a way, I don't feel great about the story I wrote because I didn't arrive at a real solution I was able to address it and put some stuff out there, so I hope you guys will read it, um, those of you who still have more questions. I do think it's true the Tigers can do a better job. I am pretty confident there are going to be some changes in the um, training realm this offseason. So I got to give a quick shout-out to uh, to my father, Mike Steckley, Captain Mike Steckley. He never let me pitch. Wow. He... He just said, you're not, I don't want you to throw your arm out or whatever. And it's not like, you know, every father imagines their kid's going to go be a big leaguer, right? But, uh, and obviously that was not going to happen for me. But 
he never let me pitch. I never pitched. I played baseball every year of my life from the time I was, you know, five with like T-ball or whatever until I stopped playing in high school. Never threw a single inning. So since we're calling out contradictions, my, my dad didn't let me play football. So Mike was, hey, don't hurt your arm, but here, go yes. get traumatic brain yes. injuries. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, Love but. It. But the thing is, my arm's intact and my brain's intact. The thing is, uh, <laughs> send as uh, middle son to the Marines. <laughs> but don't don't be a pitcher. Don't be a pitcher. Yes, exactly. So you know, you like it this way, you don't like it that way. <laughs> um, but and you know, I'm a I'm a married man now. I'm not gonna be having kids for. He's you a know, family several, man. I'm a family man. Not be ha- I'm gonna be having kids for a while. But, I, you know, the thoughts kind of go in my head, like, you know, am I going to want to do, like, the travel baseball thing? And that's sort of, like, what you're expected to do. But at the same time, I'm just, like, I, I just – same thing with, like, AAU if you want to go with, like, yeah. basketball. Like, it just seems, like, grimy to me. And then you think about, like – I hate like, it, man. I think it's terrible. But it's, like, if you if you want to be what, a competitive athlete, you yeah. don't have much of an option these days. And, again, like, like I lived that, and I played – 90 games between the summer of my uh, eighth grade year and freshman year of high school. We were on this great, like elite travel team. A grand total of one of us went on to play college baseball. So I think we were all burnt out by the end of it. Like I was like, I love this game and this sport. Obviously I work in it and wanted to work in it. By my senior year, man, I had gone through so much with the travel ball and the pressure like it felt like a job and i was ready to be done playing and that happened to a lot of kids i grew up with who were really good baseball players yeah and then you think about the the money and the money and the stress on the body that uh i mean that's why they you know the old school thing that is starting to creep back a little bit of like play multiple sports don't specialize Mm -hmm. uh you know and i'm assuming that Casey Mize probably specialized. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know his background, but he probably specialized. I personally kind of regret specializing. I specialized in baseball from from high school on. Kind of regret it. Yeah, I mean that like, and, and so you're just doing the repeated motion over and over. I thought the warm weather thing that you just said is very, um, is very true. Uh, I remember there are a couple things. So we talk about how how far we've come. And then there are still some sort of like universal truths that I hearken back to that I heard years ago. I heard years ago, like a decade plus ago, John Smoltz talking about northern uh, part of the United States pitchers are better equipped for long term because they can't pitch competitively like guys in the south because of you know the climate. And um, and then Oral, I've mentioned this on the podcast before. Oral Hersheiser saying that like you can work out a muscle, you can build up strength in a lot of areas but you can't you can't work out a tendon and i think and i think in regards to like acl injuries and achilles injuries i don't know if those for sure are up but it feels like it is and the same could probably be said for for tendons in in the arm as jeff Paston would put it they maybe we're just our you know simple evolution states that bodies are getting bigger and stronger and and faster and you know more you know there's just more force applied to everything 
that goes on, especially when you're talking about the best of the best, which is what these people are, you know, as professional athletes. Uh, if there was a solution, uh, maybe it would be stop training, like stop getting bigger and, uh, and, and just like go back to everybody being 160 pounds and, and trying to trying yeah, to play baseball. Yeah. Throw 88 yeah. to 92, you know, that's, that's really where it's at. Um, it's yeah. So many fascinating things. Passing makes a great point. I, I think I've said before, like throwing overhead is an unnatural motion. Well, Passing's book states, no, it's not. Humans evolved because largely in part, they were able to throw spears and rocks yeah. and uh, we're one of few species that can throw things over our heads. Now throwing this little, what, eight ounce sphere. 95 plus miles an hour, 100 times every five days. I'm not sure the human body was designed to do that. Clearly, I think we're at a place where pitchers are pushing the limits of human capabilities. But the other thing is there's no answer between overuse and underuse. So much of this is blamed on the schedule, the COVID shutdown, the lockout. Guys weren't throwing. Then they got hurt because they weren't throwing. So they had, I think that goes, you ramp up too quickly. Your muscles aren't properly adjusted. That puts more stress on the tendons. The tendons eventually break. That's a very rough, not that knowledgeable how I understand it. So underuse is a problem too. Again, the Tigers kind of babied Mize and Scooble last year. Let's do your three-inning starts. We're going to cap you at 150 innings. Yeah, what good did that Didn't help do them. in retrospect? Got you nowhere. Got you nowhere. Now you're looking at 2023 without Casey Mize. We don't know for sure how long Scooble's going to miss. He's probably going to miss a good chunk of 2023 if I had to guess. I don't mean this specifically for those young guys. So this, this transition is not directly related. But just in general, how much of this stuff is on the actual pitcher himself? Like, you're a professional athlete. I know Alex Lane talked about how in your story about, you know, the, the care that he takes uh, on his arm. And I don't know, like we've also heard some examples of guys not taking care of themselves and then getting hurt. Um, how much of this is on the player? And then also how much is Chris Fetter going to have to maybe pivot some of his pitcher plans like because i assume he you know he works with the strength and conditioning and and that he gives them like uh like an off-season plan to adhere to in order to build up strength work on this but you know blah 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 how much is he gonna have to change obviously he's capable of it but this feels like it could be like a pivot point in a way for the the franchise and how and and how this goes into the off-season i mean i just assume that he's just not going to be able to kind of, all right, rinse and repeat what we've done the, you know, last summer or whatever, and then they abbreviated the, you know, or last winter, I should say, and then abbreviate what happened when he got hired the previous winter. Uh, I just feel like this is also kind of, this doesn't get talked about, this is not getting talked about, but this might be something where he's going to have to take ownership and, and, and the best leaders pivot when, when needed. And I think this might be one there, of those there, times. Yeah. Uh, there are so many thoughts going through my mind right now. We should revisit this this just arm topic in the off season. Um, I want to believe there's something to like taking care of your, your body and all that. But I'm thinking of the guys who I've seen get hurt. 
the last couple of years. Matthew Boyd, dedicated to sleep and diet as any athlete I've ever been around. Casey Mize and Tarek Skubal, known as two of the more diligent guys in the entire organization. You know who's been healthy this year? Andrew Chafin. I interviewed Andrew Chafin while he was eating a Twinkie. No <laughs> lie. So, how much of it is genetics, you know? Maybe some guys just, some guys hold up better. You look at a lot of these big-bodied pitchers, and it seems like a lot of them are unbreakable, even if they're not in good shape. I Like, that's anecdotal, but that's what it feels like. In terms of Fetter, I think that's interesting, too, because when I look at all these injuries, I'm like, okay, that... I'm sure the biomechanics thing is is very true. I don't think that explains all your pitching injuries. And I wonder if this is where, when AJ is just basically the spokesperson for everything now, it's a little bit of a problem because AJ's kind of never really... Um, I mean, he said they're looking at everything, but I think he's kind of tried to downplay the idea that their throwing programs could be a problem. Is that him shielding his guy in Fetter? Is that him shielding the baseball process? I mean, I don't know that, but it makes you wonder. You know, that was one thing I wasn't really able to get at much in the story because no one would really talk about it. It was kind of like, no, they're fine. That's not the problem. You, you got to look at it. I think something's got to be changed because all your dudes are getting hurt. That doesn't mean it's the problem. Again, I think it's a combination of all the things we've just talked about. Um, but there's got to be a way to help protect these guys a little bit more, right? Hopefully, maybe. Well, it, it's one of those things that if nothing changed yeah. and this persisted, we'd be like, you know, looking back and that'd be a pretty easy thing to kind of be like, well, why mm -hmm. didn't you do this? You know, uh, and and so, yeah, I mean, like like a lot of things when you're asking questions of people like they technically aren't. You're not owed anything, so they can just like poo-poo it and and still be doing things behind the scenes or whatever. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I just feel like that has to be a part of the process because it's obviously it's part of the problem just in general because it's happening. Like it, it legitimately is part of the problem. Doesn't mean uh, how big or small or whatever, but you just can't, in my opinion, continue to do the same thing. So um, I mean, look, look, next year's starting rotation, it's gonna be. Erod, Manning, hopefully, uh, and Tur Turnbull, Fiedo, I don't know about Fiedo. Turnbull, Brisky. I think Turnbull, Brisky, and then without Mize and Manning, you're not feeling really good. So I think you got to spend some more money on a pitcher. But I'm also now I'm like, why would you ever spend money on a pitcher? Pitchers are running backs. <laughs> like pitchers are running backs. Yes. Every now and then you get an outlier, like a Justin Verlander or whoever, but. They're breakable, man. Oh, so I'm saying don't draft pitchers, mm -hmm. but I also I, like I, I and I, yeah. I mean, I I think that goes back well, to the draft thing. Like I, taking a pitcher in the first round to me is now like taking a running back in the first round. It's a dying notion. Yeah, I mean, and that was even before we experienced this string of injuries. We, that was very much part of the conversation when Jackson Job was picked number three overall. Speaking of Jackson Job, so the uh, MLB pipeline came out with their prospect rankings, and he is number one. I believe he's a in terms of overall, like the the consensus, like top one hundred. He's 
usually in like the 50 range to 60, yeah, I think MLB 70. pipeline put him in the 40s this time. He's okay. lower okay, in so Baseball America. And Keith Law hasn't ESPN. updated his, but unranked, <laughs> which was Keith Law right? You know? <laughs> Gotta start yeah, asking well, that question. It's true. Um, so, Job 1, Jace Young 2, Wilmer Flores 3, Ty Madden 4, Peyton Graham coming in at 5. I'll just read the top 10. Colt Keith, 6, Ryan Kreidler, 7, Isaac Pacheco, 8, Reese Olsen, 9, and Dylan Dingler, 10. Where's my uh, guy Christian Santana, man? Who made this list? Right outside the 10, From 11. There, you look, the guy draws some walks. He's starting to hit a little bit. Christian Santana should still be top 5 IMO. Well, we are now seeing the the fallout of all these prospects graduating right so the tigers are now like 24 in a lot of 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 farm system rankings not ideal still guys on this list that you want to believe in but a lot of them that you don't necessarily expect to pop like with the anticipation of riley green and torkelson and obviously mize and and manning scoobal back a couple years back so how does this read for you? This this new iteration of uh, of the prospects. I think you got a lot of guys that are interesting. I think you have close to zero. I think you have one and a half guys that you're like, oh, they're going to be everyday major leaguers. I think Jace Young is looking good there, although no one is quite sure what position is best for him. And I mean, I'm sure Jackson Job will pitch in the majors, but how good is he? We don't know. Like. How safe do you feel about any of these guys? I think all of those 10 names could be guys who reach the majors. I think you're looking at the the makings of a system that maybe is getting a little closer to producing these 45, 50 grade players that the system really, really needs. There have been some positive developments in player development this year, by the way. Colt Keith, uh, Winsel Perez, Wilmer Flores, you know Santana. There have been guys who have carried Carpenter. There have been guys who have turned themselves into legitimate prospects to play at the major league level, and that's overall really good for the system. But you went from you know the the criticism that the Tigers system was top heavy, truer than ever, because you got your big guys in the bigs and Mize is hurt and Scoobles hurt and Torkelson hasn't panned out so far and Riley Green's up there. And then it's like, it's just hard to know still, what does this lineup look like in 2025? So you're thinking, well, maybe Cole Keith plays here. Maybe Isaac Pacheco plays here. May, but you just don't know. You just can't be sure. There's there's still a high risk factor um, with a lot of these players. So it's good that you're starting to get a longer list of interesting names. It's bad that where your dudes where are your guys? Well, so I actually think that's a good point. You, you, you basically said there's a lot of guys on this team that are, and I'll mean this disrespectfully, roster fillers, like role players. You could envision, like you envision Ryan Kreidler mm-hmm. having a role on a major league team, you know, and then like Colt Keith is a little bit younger, so like the projection range is higher. Same thing with Pacheco, uh, but still, 
Like, there's a lot of guys that you could envision being, like, another Harold Castro. Uh, uh, I, I just think it's funny how young Wenzel Perez is. He's 22. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like he's been around forever. And and, and so, like, you know, and, and it, it, what that amounts to, I don't know. But it's nice to see him kind of regain some footing after just being, like, the young signing and then kind of falling out and, you know, he looks like a respectable prospect at this point, so you know, good, right. good on him. Peyton Graham is interesting, obviously the second round pick this year. Uh, some of these college bats you'd like to advance a little bit faster, but I, there's not, there's not anyone, there's no pop. I guess is kind of how I would characterize it. There's a lot of guys, like I said, that envision having some roles well, yeah you don't you don't have a consensus top 50 prospect despite being seven years into rebuilding that's because the guys who were in the top 50 have now graduated but you still guess what the dodgers have plenty of top 50 top 100 prospects tigers don't and you know guess what even when they are top 50 top 10 still hard mm-hmm. cc spencer torgelson cc riley green who's going through it he's going through what is. is expected of of a, of a young hitter. So he's been infected with the disease from the rest of this lineup, all of a sudden chasing and making bad swing decisions. And it's like, this guy's a good hitter. I've seen him have a great plate approach. He has been infected by the rest of these guys. Well, you know, there's the, there's probably something to the need for him to be at leadoff right now. And like how much, in a perfect situation, obviously he wouldn't be. So there's mm-hmm. there's probably something to that. But regardless, uh, you you visited West Michigan this week, Cody. Um, got some you you pick up some stories. Did you did you resist the temptation to buy into some hype? Did you did you, were you able to resist? Yeah, came away with <laughs> not much hype. Uh, saw Jace Young. Talked to Jace Young. Liked him a lot as a guy. Um, as a prospect i you know only one game i saw him he was he was kind of what i thought he was like i think he had two hits and he you know gets that bat through the zone really well i was like this is a guy who's probably gonna rake through the minors is he gonna hit at the majors I, i'm starting to throw my hands up because if torkelson <laughs> and green can't hit at the majors then i'm not sure who can but i think i i think his bat's gonna play through this system maybe pretty quickly uh defensively he was maybe a, like here's what I saw and what I've what I'm told has been happening so far. He makes the plays. He's not like he's butterfingers, like can't field the ball, does dumb stuff. He makes the plays. He just doesn't. He doesn't have a ton of range at second. You can tell he doesn't move too quick. Uh, there were a couple balls hit to his um, backhand side, and you could he didn't have much juice on the throws to first. So I was like. This guy's not horrible, not a plug, probably below average at second base if we're talking major league level. Uh, but, like, I wasn't like, oh, he's unplayable either. So I felt good about Young as a prospect. And then looking across the diamond, unfortunately, Pacheco's hurt. He has a cut on his hand. He wasn't in the lineup. I was really hoping to see him. Because otherwise, I was like, man, there's not a lot of talent here at this high A level. A lot of your more intriguing guys are either still in Lakeland or I guess you have some some good pitching in Erie and then in Toledo I'm not sure you have a lot right now 
So it kind of speaks to the, the spread out nature of the farm system. Um, Josh Crouch is a catcher who's gotten a lot of play recently. He's having a real nice season. He made the, he like made the s- list, by the way. He made it at yeah. like number 30, I think. I would like to see more of him. Um, wasn't super impressed, in, but it was a one-game sample. Uh, I know his defense has been knocked a little bit. You could tell his receiving skills were not very good, but we've got robo-ums coming, so does that <laughs> even matter? At the plate, uh, his numbers speak for themselves. I thought his hands even at the plate looked a little slow, but it was one game, you know, who knows. Um, so that was that was kind of my impressions. I saw Brant Herter pitch, who was just promoted to double-A Erie. Uh, wasn't, didn't love his command, didn't have a lot of velocity on his pitches. So I don't know. Again, one game sample, not here to make definitive statements on, on any of these guys. Um, those were kind of my takeaways. Well, you just missed Jackson Joe. Uh, I did just miss Jackson Joe. It, I always time these things poorly. <laughs> I think. And I think on Wednesday he's slated to make uh, his so. his West Michigan debut. Um, I just think I I just want to spend maybe forty five seconds on this. Uh, he's unfortunately gonna be like the poster child of like the tail end of the Alavila era because he was picked above what the consensus f- fan base favorite pick would have been Marcelo Meyer and who credit to him he's done nothing but validate validate that um but uh Job I think still has the potential to be really good and they're following a plan and it's and it's a slow burn but it just it, it does feel like it's going according to plan he's learning how to be a pitcher I just I just kind of hope he gets a fair shake from the fans, I guess, is really all uh, all I want. It's not his fault he was picked third overall, you know. So, all right. Uh, the big on-field news is that Eduardo Rodriguez makes his return to Detroit. Uh, he he We speculated on this podcast how that would go when he, you know, with the team and, you know, AJ and, and, and facing the media and all that stuff that happened on Friday. So you were there. What was what was that kind of was that as awkward as you anticipated or did it seem like everyone kind of handled it well? I think it was less awkward than I anticipated. I don't know everything that happened behind closed doors. The team was pretty tight lipped about that, but all gave the impression that everything was good. Um wasn't like the Padres talking about Tatis, where Ooh. pretty much all his teammates and the GM are ripping him. So maybe that speaks to, like, they're not a lot of veteran guys. It's not a winning team. I, I have no idea. But the messaging was different than in that situation. Um, they had Eduardo do his press conference kind of in an interview room. So it wasn't like we were all awkwardly waiting around his locker. Uh, that probably made it easier on him. He gave a real relaxed vibe. He wasn't forthcoming with really any details of his situation. Not that he had to share a lot. Um, I'm just a guy who likes transparency. I would have liked like a little mm-hmm. more, uh, like something to give us a better idea of what happened. He mentioned his kids a lot. Um, talked about seeing a psychologist. So you get, you saw some more humanity from Eduardo. He seemed a little more relatable. Um, which I think goes back to like, I think this thing was just handled so poorly by everybody. 
especially Eduardo's camp. Maybe not whatever Eduardo was going through with his marriage must have been terrible. Maybe he was in a very bad state. I think his agent or his reps should have helped him out more, put out some sort of statement, made clear what he was going through, not made it known that he was ghosting the team. Um, and so that bothers me a little bit with the Tigers who are now trying to present, oh, everything's rosy, everything's great, we gave Eduardo hugs. It's like, well, you guys made public that you hadn't heard from him and you had your former general manager basically say, mm, when asked if he was, they were looking into voiding his contract. So the Tigers never seemed too concerned. They protected his privacy, but not necessarily the public perception. And now it's like, oh, don't be mad at Eduardo. We love him. Overall, though, I think the messaging was clearly better in this press conference. Everyone seemed to have a better plan going into it. As a journalist, I don't love that because the transparency, the like how much of this is actually true, what does the team actually think. Yeah. But it was at least presented well. So I give the the team and the PR staff and Eduardo and AJ credit for Seeming like you knew what you were doing and how to handle this, right? Because that, that hasn't always been the case in this situation. It was handled well. So by the end, all I could say was, well, it seems like a positive step toward toward reconciliation. And A.J. Hinch, as he tends to do, put it the best way. Like, it's possible to have two feelings at once. It's possible to feel bad, feel sympathetic for Eduardo and everything he's went through and still be frustrated, basically. Why did the Tigers not have one of their best pitchers? Why was this guy... Um, away from the team. I think those feelings can coexist, and ultimately that's that's kind of where I land on a situation that's been tough to decipher all the way through. Um, Friday, they presented something that may be as close to a good ending, although I think we got four more years to see how this uh, really ends. And Eduardo, you know, as much as you feel for him as the human being, what's ultimately going to restore his reputation among the fans, among the team is, is probably producing on the field. So now it's, now it's back to business is also kind of how I look at it. It's true. And, you know, I thought we on this podcast try to do a good job of balancing the human element of it. And yeah, I hope so. Sometimes I worry I'm being too harsh. Like, I don't know. I, Look, I, I see a therapist, you know, I was raised by lived in high school, lived with a single dad. So like, I feel like I can probably relate to a lot of this stuff and it's hard and it's not easy. I also relate to like, okay, give your employer a heads up. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. yeah, it's delicate, especially in our culture now. Like we, we're trying really hard to respect and be more cognizant of mental health. And that's a good thing. And that's why and that's, that's why thing. I go back to the messaging. It, it probably should have been messaged like that more from the start if that's really the truth. And it could have been a positive story. Yeah. But the people involved did not handle it like that. And so now here we are just not sure how to the right lane to take. Yeah, exactly. I really like what I really like what we talked about in this podcast. I think we gave fans a lot of insight, a lot of you know, things to think about what they would like on a GM if you have a candidate in mind feel free to tweet cody at cody stavenhagen i'm at kieran underscore steckley and our pod page is at turn corner pod uh this will not be the last time we talk about it but it is fresh on the mind so i kind of wanted to dedicate the podcast to to some of the big picture stuff so 
Um, appreciate everybody for listening. Thank you for subscribing on Apple, Spotify. Please subscribe to The Athletic so you can get the full scope of the things that we talk about on this podcast. And so for Cody Stavenhagen, I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week.